0: Hey good morning and welcome to the show. Of
1: course, it is Thursday, second best day of the week as we get ready to wrap it up. It's The Real Investment Show, of course. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Of course, Brent Clanton driving our Link Challenge bus. As always, we're going to see if we can make it safely to school this morning. <laughs> There's a, there, did you ever see that for, for, you, for you older people in the audience, like me, right? you remember the you remember the movie gumball rally yes yes dom Delouise and burt reynolds Mm -hmm. right so of course that was when the italian driver was in the car and he rips off the rearview mirror and he throws it out the back of the ferrari he says what's behind me is not important well the way brent drives what's in front of him is not important either so that's (laughs) that's the important thing hey now (laughs) so my wife and i were watching uh Smartest guys in the room last night. Yes. So uh, we're, we're kind of on a documentary kick here lately. I, I you know, just you know, trying to find new stuff to watch, I guess. But I, I'd seen this movie before, but, you know, I'd forgotten. Of course, we had Beth McLean on our uh, show here before. We've interviewed her as well. But, you know, when Enron was going down, in all this, um, you know, this was right in the midst, I was actually doing a radio show in another station with Mr. Brent Clinton at the time as he was my boss at the time. <laughs> and we were right in the midst of this, you know, this Enron meltdown. And I had forgotten at the time, I remember the whole, you know, deal about Enron broadband, right? Uh, uh, Enron had this idea of trade, you know, unused broadband, they were going to trade unused broadband capacity, like a commodity, right? And part of their deal was, is they were, they launched a streaming service with Blockbuster Video. And I had forgotten about yeah, this, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, And I, it's I remember
2: talking to Ken Lay, and he's describing how we would watch television on the internet, and everybody go, you're nuts.
1: Yeah, you're nuts. And, and what's interesting is, is that, you know, had they gotten that thing to work, mm-hmm. right, they would have been the Netflix. That's Enron right. Enron yeah. would have been Netflix and Blockbuster would still be around. (laughs) And unfortunately, they just could never get it to work right. But they had the right. You know, it's it's a it's interesting. You know, when you take a look at it, you know, Enron's this kind of giant fraud. It really was. There was a lot of accounting machinations and just, you know, B.S. accounting really kind of across the board And it's amazing. They sucked in Vincent and Elkins here in Houston, which is a major law firm. They sucked in Arthur Anderson into their scheme. It's it's a fascinating story. If you haven't watched the documentary "Smartest Guys in the Room," it's it's well worth to see kind of the the links that they went to to get stuff done. But out of this, you know, out of this malaise of of ideas they were generating to basically rep, you know, kind of manufacture money, they actually had a really good idea oh, yeah, yeah. that would have worked. And you know, as as art imitates life. CNN tried to replicate this whole service as well by launching the Comedy News Network streaming service, mm-hmm. uh, which was on Tuesday. Yeah. Employees are now bracing for layoffs as soon as May, Oops. as subscribers are not subscribing. Hey, I have an idea for, for CNN. Try reporting news, unbiased, fact-based news, and yeah. maybe people actually subscribe to pay for it because there's not really any good news services out there anymore.
2: What a silly idea.
1: I know. I miss the days of actual news. Remember when you used to sit down with your dad and watch the news at night? Yeah. You know.
2: Walter Cronkite.
1: I'm Walter Cronkite. And that's, it, the yeah,
2: that's the way it is. And
1: that's the way it and and it was just news. It wasn't biased. Yeah. It was just it was just the facts. And yeah, miss those days. Yep. Actually having good news. That was the
2: golden age.
1: <laughs> now, you know, you know the world's in trouble when the real comedy news network you know, that actually has <laughs> higher ratings than CNN, right? Yeah. So, yeah. The, so they you know this is the thing, you know, the comedy channel, higher ratings. It just shows you. And, and the, yeah, the, you also, when, uh, sorry.
2: When the Babylon Bee breaks news,
1: yeah, exactly.
2: You know, we're in trouble.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or when people are getting their news source from The Simpsons. This is the other. Of course, Simpsons was right on this. I mean, The yeah. Simpsons have, have, have a primitive, you know, have an ability to really kind of bring the future into focus they've unveiled a lot of stuff all
2: humor is rooted in truth
1: right absolutely anyway uh, a couple of things here to get the the show started today um, as we digress (laughs) Um, markets are ending up the end of the quarter now despite the fact that we just had a 10 percent rally over the course of the last uh, two weeks Markets are going to end the quarter lower, uh, most likely, uh, unless we just have a phenomenal rally today, which is unlikely to be large enough to get us to a positive quarter. Uh, We're going to have a negative quarter now. That's not the end of the world. It's just the way it is. But it definitely has been a rough start to the new year. Now, as we get into April, April tends to be a much better month. Uh, Seasonally speaking, April tends to be positive over the last 15 years. It's been positive. Sorry, over the last 16 years, it's been positive uh, every time except one year. So, you know, that's it's not surprising. We will see a little bit of carry through into next month, but not before getting some type of sell-off here at least in the short term so some corrective action here is very likely uh the S&P again as we've talked about the last couple of days is extremely extended above the 50-day moving average so you know we're two standard deviations above that moving average it's been a big run over two weeks and just you know just from a, a logical standpoint markets are going to have to you know take a bit of a respite here and at least just trade sideways if not at least pull back to these levels of support so now the 50 and 200 day moving averages are now really key technical support for the market i'd say the 200-day moving average is even more important right now that if the market does pull back here over the next few days it needs to hold that 200-day moving average markets are very overbought on on every measure and we're very close to triggering sell signals on two of our most important indicators so again really no matter how we kind of look at this markets need to have a bit of a correction here to work off some of this overbought condition. Now that'll give you an opportunity to put some money to work in the markets as long as other factors right now aren't deteriorating even more. So as long as kind of everything remains status quo, there's nothing there's not a lot to worry about here, but we definitely need a bit of a pullback here in order to allow for an opportunity to put a little bit of money to work uh, back into the markets. On the other side of that ledger, though, is paying attention to fixed income. And this is something that uh, Mike and I will talk about more this morning. But bonds have been over, very oversold here and are actually turning a little bit positive here. We're starting to see kind of a, a, a top in interest rates and a bottom in bond prices. And importantly, we're now triggering buy signals really across the board from fairly low levels. So again, there's there's a good idea here that we're going to get a correction in stocks to some degree, again, not major, we're not gonna go back down and retest lows most likely, but have some type of a short-term correction stock prices, money moves in, rotates out of risk into fixed income. And that would not be a surprising trade here, particularly as people become more, kind of a little more concerned here about, you know, the, the potential for the Fed hiking rates, slower economic growth, that type of thing. That, you know, if, if we start to see that impact of weaker economic data starting to filter through into the economy we'll start to see more money kind of rotating into that safety trade on the bond side so again you know so we we had added a little bit of bond exposure um, earlier this week and that continues to kind of be the, the the case here to look to add some of that longer duration bond exposure as a hedge against the equity risk we have in portfolios right now but of course we're still carrying a good bit of cash but if markets do kind of consolidate here hold support start looking a little bit more bullishly biased then we'll put that cash back to work but we've got a lot of stuff to get into this morning we'll talk with michael Leibowitz about the fed they're on track to hike rates seven or eight times over the course of the next year several of those meetings slated to be 50 basis points can the market handle that can the economy handle it we'll talk about that next on the real investment show
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: There's a war being waged on your retirement dollars. And unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston, Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings, make the most of social security, and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation and retirement with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: The Real Investment Show.
1: and welcome back to the show this morning of course it is tuesday as i'm sorry tuesday man <laughs> let's try that again it's thursday <laughs> we wrap up the week also wrapping up the quarter now april the first is friday yes i know if that's april fool's day no fooling no fooling absolutely right <laughs> um also too that is going to be uh you know still part of this kind of portfolio rebalancing process that we've been in for the last you know couple of weeks this Is something we talked about at the beginning of the month uh, we had written about this several times. Markets were, you know, under a lot of pressure. The, we had the Russia-Ukraine thing going on. There's lots of panic. Um, you know, we're getting lots of emails and people panicking about, you know, oh my gosh, the markets are we're in a bear market and and this is you know terrible and everything's going to go down. We need to be you know all in gold and commodities and these type of things. And we warned back then that you know first of all, when you have two negative months in the market in a row, that's that's a that's a rarity. That doesn't happen all the time, That you have two negative months in a row. And so you're likely going to get a reflexive rally. And plus, combined with the fact we had a tremendous amount of negative sentiment, a very, you know, just, you know, very low equity exposure in terms of, you know, portfolio managers, hedge fund managers, pensions, you know, those equity exposures were extremely low. And we'd said back then that all it would take is, you know, some type of good news, the Fed just to kind of, you know, maintain their stance, not do anything that surprises the markets. And that's what they did. And ever since that Fed meeting, the markets have been, you know, pretty much on a tear because the the Fed didn't really do anything other than just kind of reaffirm that they're just going to be on their schedule for hiking rates. Now, you know, how long this lasts, of course, is a question of how far the Fed's going to ultimately hike rates. But as we move into April... The, the seasonal strength of the market is still there. And the, and the first day of April tends to be the day that, you know, we see a lot of mutual fund managers put money to work as well for the new quarter. So don't be surprised that, you know, if this week the market continues to try to work its way a bit higher, particularly on the NASDAQ, where it's a lot of these real beaten up stocks. The, the meme stock chases back a lot of the, you know, uh, short positions that have been built and those in like the arc type funds are being unwound and so we're seeing really big moves even arc itself has finally plugged some of its leaks as i said yesterday (laughs) and has been you know rallying fairly strongly here but be careful about this because this is that kind of reflexive fueled rally that we had discussed earlier this month it's not a return of the bull market and that's you know at least not now now are there some things that could occur to change that and the answer is yes You know, if the market can hold the 200-day moving average, build some support there, work off an oversold condition, then break out to new highs, you're back into a bullish trend. So, you you know, all this commentary that we're talking about now, that'll change. But the market does have a lot to deal with over the course of this year as we move forward because it's not just the Fed hiking rates. It is also... All this liquidity that we put into the markets over the last two years, that $5 trillion, the checks to households, all of that, that is go- has gone, right? There is no more of those benefits. There's no more bill on the horizon for more benefits being sent to households. That's behind us now. The fact that you have inflation running at very high levels because of those, that monetary infusion, right? No supply, lots of demand because I gave everybody cash. Not surprising you get inflation. But that's also impacting households, so they'll start spending less. So you're going to have a tighter monetary environment. Even if the Fed does nothing, monetary policy is already tighter because interest rates have gone up. The 30-year mortgage is near 5% now. Oh, my gosh. Highest level since we've seen since, I think, 2018. (laughs) So, you know— these are things that are going on, and that is all slowing economic growth. So now we're now the important thing here is now the Fed's talking about hiking rates, 50 basis points at the next meeting in May, three 50 basis point rate hikes before the end of this year, and seven rate hikes in total. So a 50 basis point hike is two rate hikes, two quarter, but two quarter point rate hikes. So you're talking seven to eight rate hikes going into 2023, and the, the question becomes really. With everything else already getting tighter, can the markets, you know, handle that further tightening of policy in a slowing economic environment? Michael Lee, would joining us more to talk a little bit about that. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me.
3: Sure. Uh, so back to your earlier comment. I, I think this is an, a very important time to be agnostic, not necessarily be a bull, not be a bear, be the eagle as we like to say, because there's a lot of, look, we've been in a bull market for the better part of 10 plus years, right, coming out of the 2008-2009 crisis. And we had a little speed bump in 2020 where the market, uh, you know, some people will claim it was a bear market, but it lasted a whole 10 minutes and then bounced right back. And we had a great year and a half after that. So I think the argument that we're still in a bull market has some merit, I think the argument that we're entering a bear market probably has a little more merit because in large part, what you said, Lance, about the Fed pulling liquidity, liquidity about the government not spending nearly as much money as they were. Uh, And this is going on globally, too. It's not just within the confines of the United States. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's very important to be understanding of the bull view, understanding the bear view and be agnostic and watch the market because bear markets are tricky to trade. We have written on this a couple of times, we've talked about it. Bear markets are kind of like uh, stair steps. They'll have a sharp drop, they will consolidate. And sometimes those consolidations can be really sharp rallies. And those rallies create hope and they get investors to jump back in. And then the bottom falls out again. And you can get three or four of these 20% drops followed by 10, 15, 20% increases or even more and then drops again.
1: So, And and by the way, we saw that. That is the type of action you see. If you go back to the dot-com crisis as an example, you saw exactly that same type of action where you would have these declines of 10, 15, 20%. The markets would rally and the media would be saying, hey – time to get back in the bull market's back you know that correction's over thank goodness and it would just suck everybody back into the markets just in time for it to drop again and kind of hand their hats back to them and that went over and over and over again and I remember clearly Ralph Alcompoor they they uh, changed his name to Ralph Mickey Poor because every time the market rallied he kept saying hey the market you know the market the bear market's over time to get back in and he kept telling everybody to buy the 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 top all the way back down again and you know this was you know and that by the time we got to the end of the dot com crisis you know it was like phew, nobody wanted to be in stocks anymore and you know we saw a little bit of the same thing occurring in 2008 as well but you know that the the drop was so sharp once lehman kicked in there was really not much to talk about after the fact
3: right and usually bear market and when all the greed has been wiped out of the market and everyone is fearful yeah everyone thinks the market's zero that there's no hope that there's there's no bottom in sight yeah. and that's when markets usually bottom and now lance your point earlier there's something different about this bear market that we did you know we did see this in '08, but not in 2000 or before that and that's the fed has discovered quantitative easing and they, along with the the U.S. Treasury, have now understand how to print money, writing checks to the people, funded by the Federal Reserve. So, what what really matters to me when I try to think about bull versus bear market, where are we going? Is what's the Fed doing? And like you said, they're gonna they're talking about raising rates potentially in 50 basis point increments. Three times, I think, is mm-hmm. now the yeah. the guesstimate, and then raise rates up to about 2% by the end of the year, and then possibly 250 to 3% by the end of uh, 2023. I think what's more important, and come, I think it's May 3rd, May 4th, is the next Fed meeting. Is not necessarily whether they go 50 or 25. I think the market can handle 50. The market is expecting 50, mm-hmm. assuming nothing changes between now and then. I think the big one is what will they do with their balance sheet? Will they start, will they make an announcement regarding QT, quantitative tightening? Quantitative tightening is the opposite of quantitative easing. Quantitative tightening means that they are either selling or letting bonds mature out of their balance sheet so that the amount of holdings actually declines over time. The, how that works, at what pace they will do it matters but what matters is they are pulling liquidity from the market there will be more treasuries the market has to absorb when it has to absorb more treasury bonds
1: yeah uh, it can and, absorb
3: and less houses yeah and that's, know, and so- that's
1: an important point here too because you know when the fed was hiking rates um back in uh 2018 you know they hadn't reduced their balance sheet yet. So in twenty seventeen they started hiking rates and, and we saw rates, you know, going up, feds hiking rates, hiking rates, hiking rates, and everything's fine. Market's doing okay. And, you know, we got the we got the Trump tax cuts and at the at the bottom of the market and oh, sorry, at the at the bottom of twenty seventeen. And, you know, that gave a lot of lift to the markets going in early twenty eighteen. But it wasn't really until the Fed started tapering their balance sheet and they started talking about being nowhere near the neutral rate. And that was where the market really kind of you know started to come to the realization of the of a change in the dynamics and we had that big 20 percent correction heading into december and then, of course immediately as soon as we get there it's like oh we're done hiking rates <laughs> and by july of next year the feds already back to dropping rates to zero we're bailing out hedge funds through a kind of a backdoor qe through reverse repo and you know kind of was game over by the time that we got into 2020 so um we'll be right back after the break um Shifting gears here a bit as, as we start kind of talking about, you know, kind of the markets and dynamics, you know, one of the things that has been fueling the market has been a lot of bullish sentiment. And the question is, is you know, and the difference between the 2020 sell-off, which was a correction and not a bear market, even though it's was 35%, was that psychology to it. We'll talk about psychology, what's happening in the markets today, and, you know, is there a difference? Be right back after the break. Don't go away.
0: Oh, 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 oh. The Real Investment Advice Blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com.
2: There's a war being waged on your retirement dollar, And unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings. Make the most of Social Security and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at realinvestmentadvice.com. Combating inflation and retirement with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: And welcome back to the show this morning at 6:33 as we get uh, today's edition of the show underway. Michael Weibusch joining us this morning. Brinkland driving our link challenge bus. My wife yesterday I get home and she says I was listening to your show (laughs) on the way to work and it was so boring. Because you're just talking money. <laughs> talk talk about something fun and exciting. So <laughs> I've got to, I've got to have something fun and exciting to talk about. The segment we had a pretty
2: good repertoire yesterday.
1: Well, we did in the six fifteen to six thirty break. Uh, we had it going yeah. on right, yeah. and and we had a good conversation going. Six thirty, we were actually <laughs> talking about important things. <laughs> yeah, right. So I was don't feel
2: bad. I get the same reaction from my (laughs) wife too.
1: It's but this is the problem about money, right? You you talk about money, everybody's like, (laughs) ah.
3: At least your wife listens to the show,
1: Lance. The the only reason she listens to the show is to make sure I'm not saying anything bad about her. That's it, because you know,
2: it's a defensive measure. Right.
1: So and 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 as you may or may not know, by the way, my wife actually works in the same building as me now. She her office is directly above my desk. So I like walk around during the day and when I hear her walk around in her heels, I bang on the ceiling with a broom. So Well that's some kind of kinda, karma. Yeah, it's kinda like the apartments in New York, right? <laughs> <laughs> Keep it down. <laughs> Lance,
3: I have a question for you. Yeah. How many articles do you write a week? Four? Four. Three? Four. Yeah. How many of those does your wife read?
1: None zero
2: ever not, I, how actually many, how actually, many ever
1: mike i i mike i'm not even actually sure she knows the name of the website so <laughs> let's let's start there realinvestmentadvice.com if you haven't been by there that's where it's all happened what
2: if you were to write you're, some you're articles making me
1: feel better <laughs>
2: what if you were to write some articles about nat gas
1: well now that oh by the way she had the most we had the most interesting conversation last night yeah. about natural gas. Remember the other morning we we're on the show and we were talking about the fact that you know she's in the, the in the midst of this big deal and that you know selling this what they call premium natural gas which is is kind of natural gas generated from good, cows and good pigs stuff Cow, cows and pigs it's from farm <laughs> animals right it's a special Process it's, of natural it's green gas. gas. So it's green. It is. It's green gas, and it's premium, right? And so, like, you know, normal natural gas is like forty dollars in MBBTU, and but this stuff is like one hundred and five dollars, right? It's just a massive difference. Wow. And but with it, see, with it, when you buy this, you get these carbon tax, you get these receipts, uh-huh. right? That yes. you then submit to the government, mm-hmm. so you can pollute elsewhere, right? <laughs> and so she's so she's on so she's on the phone with a guy. To, to buy this, you know, product that she needs for one of her customers. And the guy says, you know what, do they really want the gas or do they just want the certificates? Bingo. And, and she's like, yeah. you're kidding, right? And she, he's like, no, we'll, we'll just sell them the certificates. <laughs> they don't even need to buy the And this is my point about this whole green energy scam, mm-hmm. which it is. It's a whole scam, right? I mean, the stuff you're getting sucked into is going to be a, a millennial problem. And I'm, I'm, you know, young Erica sitting here across from me and, her, you know, she drove her Tesla down over the weekend. And, <laughs> you know, they have no idea the trap that they're walking into. But this is the way this whole scam works, right? Mike has a business. That is a major. He he's a coal miner, right? He's from Maryland. He's up there. He's he's mining coal. He's polluting the planet left and right. But he's now got to report for the SEC. The SEC is now passing all these new standards that not only does Mike have to report his carbon footprint, he also has to report the carbon footprint for every one of his suppliers, as well as part of his quarterly reporting. Now. This isn't going to drive up the cost of of corporate filings at all. Not like Sarbanes-Oxley did after Enron, which added an extra trillion dollars in reporting costs. But Mike's going to have to do this. Well, in order for Mike to continue to pollute, all he has to do is go to Erica over here, who has basically she runs a pig farm and she sells her premium natural gas that she creates from her pigs and cows. And she just sells a certificate. She sells the gas to somebody else. She collects that revenue. And then she sells the certificates that she gets from the government to Mike. These are called carbon credits. And Mike says, okay, great. So Mike pays her a premium for her carbon credits. She sells the carbon credits to Mike. Mike continues to pollute the planet left and right, but then he gets to report much lower ESG scores because he has carbon credits. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how the scam works.
3: And the and the incentives to come up with better alternatives are not great. No.
1: Why? All I got do. Why would I come up with economic, a better alternative it, if at, I can just buy credits?
3: Well, look at what's going on now. Right. This morning or last night, Biden's releasing oil from the oil reserves. What does that do? That brings down the price of oil. It it basically says, hey, use all the oil you want. So, there, you know, in the quest to win votes, there, there are they're not creating the right incentives to go out and find the next true energy source that can drive our cars and run our factories. And that's the the bigger problem is that this country focuses on the here and the now, and we like to pay lip service to all these grandiose ideas. Mm-hmm. But if we were to start focusing on our future, we could, we could allocate money, we could be a lot more productive focusing on today but thinking about tomorrow as opposed to trying to win votes next november but
1: see but that's but mike that's that's exactly the the point in case which is look toyota as a good example has had a hybrid car for some for some time now it was ugly right (laughs) prius nobody wanted to drive it but as you drove the electric, as you drove the car, it had an electric motor in it. So when you brake, it would charge the electric motor and it would reduce the carbon emission from the car. Great idea. And, you know, if you wanted to make the change to electric vehicles, because even Tesla has now admitted this. Elon Musk has said in two to three years, there will not be enough materials and enough batteries to support the EV movement. It's just not, we can't mine the planet fast enough for that and at the rate that we're going and that's the other thing right besides all this is you know it's great to be you know <laughs> to be environmentally conscious that's awesome has anybody considered the impact of mining the planet for all of these rare earth materials that it requires to do this so I mean it's great let's destroy the planet in the process of being green let's it's let's a great idea it another way. it's a great idea but hold on a second but you know the the problem is is that we had this you know Toyota kind of laid the footprint and what we should have done is to make this move to electric vehicles is move to hybrids first, allow time for the industry to catch up and create better batteries, more efficient batteries or better alternatives for electric vehicles and migrate slowly into the electric vehicle plant. If that's going to, where we're going to wind up, I think ultimately wind up with some other type of uh, fuel, but you know, if, if that was going to be the process, we should have had a logical stair step into moving in that direction rather than this kind of all one move that we've tried to do that is now going to we're going to pay back consequences for that over the course of the next decade.
3: Well, isn't isn't one of the big consequences that we're now all these auto companies are basically all their investment is going into electric vehicles instead of something that truly is green? Right. Mm -hmm. Electric vehicles are green, but only in the sense that Texas won't be dotted with oil fields. There'll be holes all over the ground in, you know, Africa and wherever else they mine these these metals. You're just you're just uh, polluting the planet in a different way. Mm -hmm. And all those metals have to be shipped. They also have to be discarded. So, you know, we can have a debate all day on which pollution is better. They're both (laughs) they're both they're both harming the earth one right. may be a little better one may be a little worse but i don't believe either one is the true answer for the next hundred years
1: well and, and look you're and not getting you're not getting away from petroleum anyway i mean you know the, the whole idea is is great you've you know but it, it takes petroleum products to build the battery right i mean you you know the, the the amount of petroleum used to to build a car is phenomenal i mean the carbon everything. footprint of an electric vehicles not that much different than an ice vehicle at the end of the day,
3: right? It's everything, everything yeah. that we are the microphone I'm talking into, the computer I'm looking at, the clothes I'm wearing, it's mm. everything. And you're right, we're not going to get out of it. And it's, you know, but even for cars, even for motors, the real answer, in my opinion, hasn't been found yet. And we're taking away the incentive to find it because now you can make a lot of money on electric vehicles. So the auto companies pour all their money into electric vehicles instead of looking at hydrogen mm-hmm. or uh, you know whatever else may be well, an option that actually solves the earth's needs.
1: But but look, Ford, GM, Porsche, all these companies, they're simply responding to market demand and you know one thing that Tesla did was they created a market demand for an electric vehicle. Right. And so all these other companies are saying, Hey, you know, there's an opportunity to build an electric car. People obviously want that. And, and you know, there's a place that we can sell it. Now, as soon as that demand changes for any reason whatsoever, these big auto companies will change and they'll produce whatever's next. You know, so all these, all these auto companies are just simply responding to what market demand seems to be at the time. And, and again, you're right. You know They're not looking at developing the next alternative or a better alternative. They're just responding to market demand and what makes profits, and more importantly, what makes their share price go up.
3: And what's interesting, compare the Prius. The Tesla is a beautiful car. It came out as a beautiful car. If you look at all these new electric vehicles, they're all really good-looking cars. There are no boxy sedans. There are no Priuses. There are no Civics. There are no... No, just standard cars. Mm-hmm. And some of that is the allure, right? It's not just uh, I'm green, I'm driving a Tesla or a Ford Mustang or whatever you know the new electric cars are. I'm driving a beautiful car. And it's, some of that allure is what's sucking people into And the fact that they can put the bumper sticker on their car, that says, <laughs> I'm green, look at me.
1: <laughs> so and go the- back
3: to their 10,000 square foot yeah,
1: house. If I can only figure out how I can get a carbon credit. <laughs> That'll be the next thing. Anyway, bye pigs. Start raising them in your backyard. That's the new solution to making money. Be right back after the break.
0: Investment news you can use, delivered at the speed of the internet, at RealInvestmentAdvice.com.
2: There's a war being waged on your retirement dollars, and unless you act now, you'll lose the battle with inflation, higher taxes, and a lower standard of living. You can blunt the effects of rising prices with our next workshop on combating inflation in retirement. April 2nd at the Embassy Suites Houston. Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff will help you fortify your life savings, make the most of Social Security, and lower your taxes. Register now for this free workshop at. At RealInvestmentAdvice.com Combating inflation and retirement With Ratliff and Rosso RealInvestmentAdvice.com The Real Investment Show
0: So that
1: didn't take very long One of my uh, <laughs> clients just uh, texted me and says, So! David, how do you actually capture the gas? (laughs) (laughs) The manure is captured in buildings and under the floor facilities, then flushed to an anaerobic digester called a covered lagoon, which looks like a large tarp covering the ground inside the lagoon. Solid hog waste is broken down by bacteria, thereby releasing the methane gas, which is then collected. So there you go all you have to have is a is is a is a lagoon and there's actually a video here of a 2.2 billion cubic foot of 80, uh, of natural gas in 88 lagoons that's a lot of pig crap that's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> and so by the cap- way i'm not sure exactly just how premium pig Manure is. Have you seen, Pigs eat everything, including humans, by the mm-hmm. way. That's how they used to get rid of people back in the day. They would just, you know, kill somebody, throw them in the pig bin, and... Next morning, they're gone. They're gone. They're gone. Just, and everything. Bones, you name it, gone. There's like no trade. Hats, <laughs> boots, done. So...
3: That's how you thank work. you David because yeah. <laughs> I was more concerned how to capture process work too I had something else in my mind
1: <laughs> No, it's not funnels and hoses so <laughs> anyway all right uh, I'd said before the before the last break uh, just to entertain my wife and her drive into work this morning um, that we want to talk a little bit about the March meltdown and and look there's one important difference you know back in March of 2020 markets were down 35 percent. Now, two things were occurring at that time that, you know, one you would expect, one you didn't expect. And the first one expected, of course, is when the market started melting down, the panic, uh, the Fed panicked and they immediately jump back into doing QE. This is now their modus operandi. As soon as there's any trouble in the financial markets, and Mike and I have this ongoing debate going right now, he thinks they're going to hike rates further because he thinks that inflation's is a bigger concern. My bet is as soon as this market really shows any signs of, of fractional crack in terms of the financial stability, they're going to be jumping back in to do QE and to, to bail out the banks because that's who owns them is the banks. So, you know, but, first line of but defense. First line of defense is that they're going to be able to make. Anyway, that's not the point. Back in March of 2020, when the market broke, the reason that was a correction and not a bear market. Look, I know the market was down 35 percent, and the kind of technical measure, and it's completely arbitrary, is that a 20 percent decline is a, is a bear market. Back in the day. When Mike and I were growing up in the business, a 20% decline would break the previous bull market trend, right? It was just markets weren't that deviated from long-term means and uh, exponential growth trends and those type of things. So if you had a 20% decline, you would crack those trends, and you would be in a bear market. You would have a directional change in prices over time, and that would be a bear market. Today, that 35% correction only got you back to the to the long-term bullish trend from 2009. So it wasn't technically a bear market. And the, And secondly, the reason you know it wasn't a bear market, and Mike alluded to this earlier, is that as soon as we got down to the bottom, people couldn't wait to buy stocks. And they weren't just buying stocks. They were buying the worst of the worst. They were buying companies that were being bailed out on the verge of bankruptcy. Or, or about to be in bankruptcy. I mean, it's just the the speculative fervor in the markets that occurred as soon as the Fed started doing QE was was amazing, and that tells you also that we didn't change that psychology of the market to a bearish tone, which really just reflected the fact that we were in a bull market, and that's and that's really kind of the the key flavor here as well. And as we were talking about earlier this year, is like, look, we had this 10, 12% decline. And yeah, a lot of people were really negative about the market. But as soon as the market bottomed here, we saw people running right back in to buy, you know, AMC and GameStop and and the most speculative of assets, people jumped back in. We had this big rally over the last two weeks. So it tells you that we're still in a bull market. We haven't gotten to that bear market mentality because nobody wants to buy stock. If you're when you're in a bear market, Mike said this earlier. Everybody thinks the market's going to zero. They're not going in and buying, you know, meme stocks. Mike, go ahead. I'm sorry. Cut you off.
3: I would also say there's a fundamental side to that, too. The old F word, which no one likes anymore, <laughs> fundamentals. Right. And, and that is that, you know, in 2000 or 2020, I'm sorry, fundamental valuation ratios, whether it's price to earnings, price to sales, there's a whole bunch of them. None of them got what we would call cheap. Some cases they got to fair value, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't quite call fair value a bear market when things get to where they're fairly priced. That's kind of that's where they should be. And so, you you know, there you look at the technical deviation and, and how it corrected and you look at the fundamental deviation and how they corrected. And in both cases best case scenario is you, you only got back to where the market should have been based on both long-term tre- technical trends and long-term fundamental trends. Mm-hmm. And once again, we bounced off the bottom. There was no fear to be found, right? Like, you know, they weren't buying the most conservative stocks. They weren't buying a Procter and Gamble's. They were buying the, the AMCs, the GameStops, the junkiest of the junk. Right. And those stocks had incredible rallies in 2020.
1: You know, and, and also, and also, you know, this is one of the things that kind of cracks me up about the media. Is you'll hear this a lot, and Mike, I know you've heard this. Is they go valuations corrected back to where they were in 2019 or pre-pandemic, right? And it's like, yeah. And they were expensive then too. You know, in, in 20 in, in January, February of 2020, Mike and I were writing articles about taking money off the table and and reducing risk because valuation is very extended. We were in the midst of kind of a market melt up at that point. And you know, we only thought we were melting up then. And now, you know, we've reverted all the way back to those expensive levels of valuation. And now we're saying, oh, markets have corrected, we're back to a good buying opportunity. No, we're still expensive. Ford valuations are still expensive. Long-term valuations are still very expensive. A lot of these companies that, you know, even on the value side, Mike and I have talked about this, you know, companies like Procter & Gamble, it's a great company, it's trading massively expensive. These are not value stocks anymore in terms of the true words of of value.
3: Well, the true words of value now is passive. So passive means that you buy the biggest value ETF, and you just assume you're buying value, you know, because you're buying company, companies like Dr. And Gamble and Clorox and companies that that do have a nice steady stream of earnings. And if you look at them, their earnings follow a nice predictable line. And, you know, at first blush, you'd say, yeah, that's a value company. But when you look at the price, it deviates well above that earnings trend. And that's the problem with a lot of quote unquote value stocks that end up in value ETFs, right? The true value stocks are the ones that are getting beaten up despite these good earnings and mm-hmm. earnings trends. And those are the ones that are still being left by the side of the road that aren't being bought because the value investors are now passive too. They're not looking, there aren't enough of them to buy those really cheap stocks. And we've uncovered a bunch of them, you know, in some of our five for Friday reports and SimpleVisor that are just dirt cheap. But they're not rallying. People would rather buy these stocks that really have no hope for the future, but they're <laughs> very volatile. They're right. very volatile.
1: Well, and this is that this is that gambling mentality that we've created. You know, ever since you know, really, 2020, with you know, Sydney checks the households and the Robinhood app, and you know, we set these millennials up to you know, ultimately fail, unfortunately, but. You know, this is this is that mentality we've created in the markets, and and again, buying value is boring. There's, you know, there's, it's not, you know, it's not, it doesn't go up 40 percent in a day. Why would I own? Why would I own something that goes up five or six percent a year when I can make that in a day, if I own a Nvidia or an AMD that can, you know, jump ten percent in a day? And and, you know, that's one of the challenges that we face in managing money for our clients is that we've got to have some of those companies in our portfolio. You know, we don't like it, but we have to have it because we need that beta volatility to make sure our portfolio is performing with the markets. And it's and it's and it's a it's a it's a risk that we have to understand. It's a risk we have to control, but it's also something that we're forced into doing. And and this is one of the big challenges for advisors, period, which is this, you know, career risk that they face. And what career risk is is simply that. If I don't keep up with the markets, if I don't, if I'm not matching what the benchmark is doing, I potentially suffer career risk. In other words, I lose my clients to somebody else who will, even if that's doing the right thing. You know, if being in cash was the right thing to do, that gets trumped by my business going out of business because all my clients leave to go to somebody else who will chase meme stocks, right? And so that's the big challenge for financial advisors and, and investment managers, period. doesn't matter who it is, whether you're a hedge fund, a mutual fund, pension fund, you know, in, an investment advisor, is that you've got to manage these risks because you've got, you're, you're forced into taking these risks. Otherwise, you lose all your clients. And that's a very tough balance between doing what's right for the client and doing what's right to stay in business as well. And, and, and that's, that's often a very tough line to walk.
3: And it catches a lot of a lot of investor investment managers offsides at the worst possible time. Mm-hmm. We saw that in 2008. We saw that 2000 is a great example of that. How many investment managers got caught off sides buying these tech stocks at outrageous valuations and ended up losing 50, 60, 80, 90 percent? Mm-hmm of individual holdings and really set their clients back 10 years.
1: Right. Well, this we, right? were talk, we were talking, last I was just talking earlier that my wife and I watched the smartest guys in the room about Enron and that was one of the, the kind of the telling points about that is, you know, all these investment analysts wouldn't ask the questions about how do you generate your revenues? Where does your income come from? Because Enron would get them fired from their brokerage firms for asking questions and that's the job right and and you know this is part of the problem that we've created in the markets through turning you know financial markets into casinos nobody's asking the question why and or how and and if more more investors ask those questions they would do better long-term but long-term investing is dead anyway the average hold time now down to four months <laughs> so is it long- that long uh, yeah i'm a long-term investor for four months <laughs> All right, wraps up the show for the day. We'll be back tomorrow morning for Financial Fitness Friday. Get by the website. Our new article is coming out tomorrow as well. Newsletter will be out this weekend on Markets and Your Money. Get by the website and check out Visor as Mike said a few moments ago. All of our portfolios there for you. Realinvestmentadvice.com.